Hey everybody, welcome to Giant Bomb Presents. Uh, it's Austin again, and today I'm here to introduce another new guest contributor. It is Gino Grieco, who uh, you might know from the website as a moderator, uh, That Pinguino. How long have you been a moderator on Giant Bomb? About the last six months, I okay, would say. Cool, it's cool. coming up on it. Awesome. I'm really thrilled to have someone who has who has worked in that capacity uh, in a voluntary, a voluntary way. Uh, kind of come over as a contributor and, and have, have the opportunity to continue to share your voice, uh, you know, with, with the audience this way. It's, it's one of my favorite things as a fan of Giant Bomb has always been the community and great blog posts and decent moderation and all of that. Like really thrilled with, with the work that you guys all do. So I'm really happy. I was really thrilled when I got the pitches that you sent in when they were so good. And, and I think basically everybody else who looked over all the pitches felt the same way. So welcome aboard. Thank you very much. I've been excited and trying to pitch for it feels like years now mm-hmm. since patrick mentioned the first time that something like this might eventually come to be yeah it's it's a it has been a struggle you know i think the thing with patrick too was it wasn't his like mandate to build the program it was like a really good thing he wanted to do uh and i know that he and jeff and everybody talked about it a ton when he was here um, but it wasn't like that's not what he was brought on to do in a real way, right? Like he he had to do the news coverage stuff 100% of the time. Um, and then for me, like it was in the job description when it went up was like, hey, part of this is going to be building free, a freelance program. So I at the very least have been able to be like, OK, that's what I'm here for. That's a thing I can devote time to and not feel bad about devoting time to it. So Yeah, and he he definitely made some big strides with some of his highlighting articles totally. before we had the community spotlight on the mm-hmm. front page of the site. Just in yeah, worth up. reading. Worth reading has always yeah. been a thing that I that I adore, and and he's done a really good job of spotlighting that stuff. You're totally right. Yeah, um, and so, it was cool to see some of the blogs from the site start showing up there every totally. once in a while too. So, besides being a moderator, um, what what do you do? Like, what's how? What should people know about about Gino? Um, let's see. So, I got into computer science specifically and writing largely from being on the site. I've been on Giant Bomb since I was since the day it launched. Oh wow. And I have followed the hotspot and GameSpot since I was maybe fifteen. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my life path was kind of dictated by wanting to get into the games industry one way or another. And so when I got to college I tried to go the path that I thought would lead me to some sort of game mm-hmm. profession which meant that I went English and computer science double major, Japanese minor. Okay. Hopefully. How'd that go? Uh, it's really time consuming. I had to go to Japan a couple times mm-hmm. to make the credits line up properly. But um, it let me kind of see the computer end of it a little bit better. And then also facilitate. Writing was my first passion. Right. So I wanted wow. to have that perspective. And combining all the things you'd be surprised it's all languages so that kind of helps yeah totally you know it's a that's a thing that i think a lot of people don't think about when they say like i really want to get into games writing is i love writing about games i really do and and i i think that my head is whatever for whatever reason but my my experiences have wired my head such that i that i do well thinking about games and writing about games but i also just love writing in general and I often get people who ask, like, how can I become a better writer or a better game journalist, a better game critic? And the, one of the things I just tell people a lot is, like, write about things and read about things that aren't games. Like, think about writing as a craft <clears throat> in and of itself. 
even if your goal is to become a great games writer, whether that means being a games journalist or a critic or even someone who goes and writes games um, or writes for games, think about writing as a craft the same way an architect thinks about, you know, architecture as a craft. Even if it's your job only to design, you know, uh, restaurants, still study architecture in this more broad sense than just what, you know, the design of restaurants. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, when I was in college, I couldn't, I could swing a game essay here or there mm-hmm. every once in a while. I really had to pitch it hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I did like, a, I, I think my final essay was on Mrs. Dalloway and the walking dead. Sure. Which you can do that every once in a while. If you, you know, you can convince the teacher, but mm-hmm. your your poetry class, you're not going to be able to talk about the poetry in you know, the codex of mass effect. Or something. Right. Right. And so you kind of have to make do like my first creative writing course, I was saying to the teacher, like, I really think about things in terms of games, but this is, you're asking me for short stories. Mm-hmm. And it, ultimately they're never going to say like, Oh, so you, you don't have to do this assignment the way everyone else does. Because you have this one dream. Like that's just not what, yeah. that's not the way education is set up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you just, at a certain point, you have to understand what they're asking of you and try to adjust and realize that it's going to help you hone your craft one way or another. Yeah, totally. So what about the computer science side of it? Because, you know, the, the piece that you have up on the site now uh, about about denial of service attacks and, and distributed denial of service, denial of service attacks, uh, you know, makes it clear that you your expertise isn't just in writing. It isn't just in games, but, but you do have a, a firm understanding of the basic, you know, infrastructure on which all of these things that we put on the internet go out and, and travel and people hear them and listen to them and read them. So, so what was that side of your education and, and your kind of like life experience like? Yeah. So I was lucky that my first coding course, I didn't code till I got to college okay. and my very first course, it was in Java and we just happened to have, cause the, the intro courses are kind of divvied up by professors at, at the college I went to. And so it just so happened to fall to a computer security expert to teach my course uh, that year. And we hit it off. Like he ended up being my advisor through college. And so I really started, he would mix in computer security examples into our daily lectures. Okay. And so that got me really interested in the topic. And I wanted to definitely make sure I hit some things that I thought would be useful if I was working on a game like networking. Mm -hmm. Um, and security seemed to make sense. Security was largely because of my professor. I was so interested in it. And the best so, professors always do that, right? Where it's like, this isn't even my thing, but I think that this professor is so fantastic and is so good at communicating their stuff and teaching. I just want to like learn as much as I can that I'm going to pick up whatever their specialty is just by the nature of wanting to learn more. Yeah, and I picked up a lot of stuff. Just I went to office hours all the time, yeah. and we would just talk about sports and, and also computer security. Mm-hmm. And so – when I was thinking about what to write about and thinking about things to pitch, just denial of service attacks with the Microsoft stuff that's been happening, yeah. it's something that always bugs me when I read a denial of service attack article because there's not necessarily that understanding of what goes into an attack like that and why the services goes down. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading the comments on on most articles just because that's what moderators do. Yeah. And I'll see people saying like, why don't they just fix it? Right. And it's like it's not well, that simple. It, it's really not that simple because it, the way it, a normal DOS attack works, assuming it's from the outside, because that, that's an assumption, right? That someone's even right. coming from the outside. Um, it just kind of overwhelms the normal systems of the internet. 
Like you wouldn't say that New York City's broken because there's a traffic jam when the Pope comes. Right. You'd say, of course, that's the Pope is here. That's yeah. not you. You don't design a city such that the Pope, as if the Pope would always be there, as if every day is the the extreme case. Like you, ideally, and I guess this is kind of a question for you: is is there a way to design a, a network? Uh, or, or in this metaphor, a city such that it at least has the escape valves necessary, or, or whatever the that the, whatever the solutions could possibly be. Is there a way to spin those up more quickly, or, uh, and if so, or if not, rather, is that just a problem of the way the networks are built now, or is that a problem with networks in general? Could we conceivably build a network that could that that could react more quickly to denial of service attacks? Um, I just want to preface this by saying I am not a network specialist. I studied sure. it a right. little bit, yeah. but I'm not on the cutting edge of research or anything like that. But the way that the networks, the way that the internet is designed right now, um, the routers and, and things on the core of the internet that your ISPs are controlling that are kind of linking things together, mm-hmm. they don't really, they just kind of route things based right. on how the addresses design. And so Diverting traffic, like the idea of how you would do it on a freeway or something, if you know that there's just going to be this huge traffic jam on the way to the city, you might divert traffic into other roads off of the highways. And then that way you can mitigate some of that flow before it ever gets to the city. And so it impacts less people on the way there. And right now that would mean in the ISP or changing uh, the way routers work on on the core to make it so that the endpoint, the Microsoft in this case, isn't dealing with all of that traffic. Because right. once it gets to them, it's already too late. Yeah. Um, once it gets to them, hey, it could have been – the whole system could have been screwed because the bandwidth has gone. Right. Not necessarily because it ever touched their servers. Right. You kind of get to this in the article in that in that you don't even have to actually hit the target. You can just kind of hit the things that the target relies on that they need to work, right? Like – uh, to go back to the the traffic metaphor here, like you don't even need to cram the you know the 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 entryway into uh, the city. You can just cram the toll booth a mile away, or you can you can make it so that the the bridge is up, so that even if even if there were a broad enough uh, highway to get all those cars and all at once, the bridge is up, so you can't get in. There are a billion ways in which you can uh, affect the the service w- without actually directly impacting the service provider. Yeah, and if you're a person who is really dedicated to shutting down one of these services, you're just going to find the way that mm-hmm. is the path of least resistance. <laughs> like most hackers that are screwing with people's lives, they are not necessarily cracking into their machine directly by like, you know, finding some backdoor into your PC. Usually they're <clears throat> maybe calling a person and posing as you and getting enough information to do something heinous to your life. It's not that they are some master hacker quite so much as they found an exploita- an exploitable hole right. that is easy to exploit without greater knowledge. Right. As long as you know how to take advantage of that one thing, it, you know, you don't have to be a genius to do that. It, but but you have a, a bit of knowledge that does set you apart from from the rest of the people who or also you just want to do this thing, right? Like, exactly. It's time and effort. Like I right. remember uh one of my one of the examples my professor gave was there was a basically a programmer who worked for a um, slot machine company mm-hmm. and he programmed a backdoor into the slot machines from the inside. Wow. And then went to casinos 
and rent, run, plugged in his code <laughs> by hitting the button That's and amazing. pulling the lever to hit jackpots. And they ultimately caught him because he was he he done, had done it too many times. Mm-hmm. You know, but if he hadn't, just, you know, they he talked gotten away with it, right? Like that's how that works. Yeah. So and, there's another analogy that you use that I think is fantastic in the piece is uh, about a martial a martial arts technique, an aikido technique uh, called ikkyo, which which uh, how does that translate to again? Ikkyo. It's it's first technique, right? Very right. literally. Um, which is is kind of a, a popular, you know. Almost, it's almost a cliche about about that style of martial arts. The sort of like using the 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 momentum uh, against someone, using a vulnerability that's built into the body against it. Um, and in this specific case, it's about using um, what is it, the, the rotator cuff in yeah. someone's shoulder, or is it? Yeah. So what? I was lucky. I learned martial arts from a professor a philosophy professor who specialized in time travel <laughs> oh geez that's a very specific yeah it was amazing T- time traveling aikido like teacher is kind of the best possible outcome in life i know i was just sitting there in class and we would spend like the first five minutes of martial arts club just discussing philosophy or or something that just popped into his head and so anytime he would perform a technique if you had a question on it he would not just give you the philo- philosophical, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, break the a person's chi. He right. could he could talk to you in that way, but he would also go well f- physiologically. If you stare at your arm, you can figure out why this technique works. And for ikkyo, your body has a whole bunch of muscles that help you rotate your arm in your in your shoulder joint. Um, you don't really have ones that stop your arm from rotating in your shoulder joint, really. Right. Um, because that your body isn't really necessarily doing that all that all the time. Your the human body wants your you arms want to move to rotate. Yeah, totally. There's not there's very few options or, or moments in my daily life where I'm like, if only my arm would stop rotating. Exactly. If only I had this muscle <clears throat> that all it did was stop me from rotating. And so what Ikkyo does is, um, it's a move where you basically kind of cup someone's elbow in your hand and then you raise it above their shoulder. Mm-hmm. And in one quick move, you kind of pin their arm behind them. And you get control of their body, but the crux of the move is that moment where you take someone's elbow over their shoulder. And when you're trying it the first time, it looks like it's a forceful thing that you really need to force someone to do it. But the trick is once you get their elbow up, the only muscle that's you know strong enough to oppose mm-hmm. in your arm is your triceps. Okay. And so that is the muscle that pushes away. And so that's how you can kind of resist. But once your elbow is up, your triceps can't extend anymore. It it's, doesn't have a position to leverage. And so now all the muscle groups that are activated are the ones that rotate. So, and the one that could oppose is out of the way. So I, I like this for a couple of reasons. Or, you know, I, I, I like it enough, obviously, because I thought that was a really good way to, for you to frame the article and I encourage you to keep doing that. Um, and I like it because it's, it's this great illustration of the way DOS and DDoS attacks use the infrastructure of the internet against service companies. But, but I'm also curious because – you know, if someone pins your arm back, is there there's still a way to to counter that move not using your tricep, right? Like there's at that point you might knee them or something, right? Or or use your free arm to to push them away or something like that. Is there an equivalent to that sort of counter uh, that companies like Microsoft could be pursuing, where it's not about 
using your tricep muscle. It's not about pushing back by adding more servers or by IP blocking. Is there a solution to this sort of thing that isn't just teching up and, and using force to push back? Yeah. So <clears throat> the, the first one that's the most obvious that most sites use is just don't be in that position in the first place. Which position uh, do you mean by that? Um, like don't, be a, don't be in the crosshair. Don't be a target. Like right. if you're not big enough, mm-hmm. people don't even mess <clears> with you. And it's – you don't think of it as that's a security solution, but that's the solution that most websites are using. Just huh. don't be a target. Don't be big enough. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be visible and just hope that they pass you by, which is not a good solution. Not if you want to be a big company. No. Not if you want to be a big company, but that's the first most obvious thing is don't – you know. If someone's going for your shoulder, don't let them get your triceps up in the first place. But now that you're in the position where you're big and you're exposed and you're vulnerable, um, the best answers I can think of, and when I spoke with my professor in researching this piece, um, what we came up with was, uh, and what researchers seem to be coming up with based on some of the readings I did, is kind of getting ISPs and getting some of the people who are the middlemen mm. to, involved to try and detect some of this stuff. And also you can um, try to do the detective work yourself. Some of the problem is just like law enforcement is way behind on this stuff. Right. And tracking down a person who's sending these attacks is hard if you're an expert, let alone if you have, you know, you're also booking people for robbery and stuff like that. Right. It's not, it's not just, oh, someone has lifted my elbow above my rotator cuff. It's like, oh, and then and that's stopping me from doing the thing I, I need to be doing right now. I've been pinned in place, so I can't go do the job I need to go do. Uh, and so part of the solution can just be like, hey, I need to find out who did this, so they'll stop doing it. Um, and that isn't about getting more servers, uh, and it, it might require some allies, right? Like, it might require someone else to say, like, hey, can you just let me – did you get a, a look at the person let, who held my stupid arm up earlier so I couldn't get to my job? Help. Right, exactly. Help, they've got me. Let make them let me go. Yeah, or at least, at least, who is it so I know to to again, like you've mentioned the piece, you can't just IP ban this sort of thing. But if you can literally identify the group or the people who are doing it, then then there could be some sort of uh, measures taken to prevent those specific individuals from from yeah, and which is not a solution in the I long outline, run. But. Oh, some of the attacks I outline in the piece are ones that are very complex, mm-hmm. like the link flooding attack. That's something that. It never even hit the target. It just hit right. everything around them. Which is why like, even- they, they can say we weren't attacked while still having suffered the results of an attack in a way. Yeah, and if you're in the building, it's going to work for you because right. you're not hitting those links. Right. Like you wouldn't even know uh, unless people are complaining on Twitter that something's up. Right. And so if it's something that's a little more common, like a regular attack that's uh, – sending a bunch of requests and it's actually hitting your server, then you can do a thing where, you know, you analyze the packets and see, oh, they have, they have a repeatable pattern. They're doing something that makes them easier to identify. And then mm-hmm. you can set your firewall to try and exclude them. Those specific things with that pattern, with that, that like yeah. kind of that signature style. Gotcha. Yeah. So one more question before I let you go. Your, your name on the site is uh, That Pinguino. What's up with that? Where does that come from? Um, so that is because when I originally got Xbox Live, I got it to play Halo with my friends, and I wanted the name Pinguino because I like how the word peng- – I'm a big fan of penguins. Sure. And Who is I want – I figured penguin would be taken. Definitely. But hey, who speaks Spanish? Sure. I'll, I'll totally be able to get the Spanish version of, 
of Penguin, and it was taken as well. Of course it was, because it turns out millions of people speak Spanish. Yeah, but tell, a, tell like a 13-year-old right. that millions of people sure. speak Spanish. And so I, it, then it gives you like suggested alternatives. And so one of them was that Pinguino. <laughs> Thanks, Xbox. And I thought, you know, in Halo, when you killed someone, it gave you like, you were killed by. That Pinguino. Good. And I'm like, which Pinguino? That one. Yep. Perfect. Good. Thanks so much, Gino. I'm excited to have you writing for the site and, and cannot wait to, to have you do some more stuff in the future. All right. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Have a good week. All right. You too.